0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at EveryNationGTA.org. Well, good morning to you all and welcome to our online uh, church service. My name is Richard. If you don't know who I am, and it's great to be with you as uh, we continue in our fall teaching series. I, I don't know about you, but if you haven't had the opportunity to come out to one of our in-person inner services, I really encourage you to do that. We're up to doing them twice a month. You'll... See the schedule a little bit later on in the service, but I've just really been enjoying just being back in person. Um, I've, got to, I've got to admit, being, being preaching in front of live human beings has been a real gift. And so, even though I'm not quite doing that today, um, it's still a great joy to be able to connect with you. And so, we're going to dive in and continue. Uh, I think we're in week five of our um, a fall series uh, called Counterculture. And we framed counterculture as this it means a way of life, values, and attitudes. They really diverge from what's popular or the prevailing social norm, and we've been really looking at the way of life that Jesus invites and calls us into, the the way of life in in following Him, and and that in itself is just very counter-cultural, and um, just the practices that Jesus wants to lead us into, but also the character He's wanting to form us into. And so this series is really looking at some of those internal properties, and so it's not so much... The, the countercultural cultural um, challenge out there as it is as much in each one of our hearts. We, we kicked off this series by talking about the war within and how even if you are a follower of Jesus, there's still a war within what your flesh, you, you want, and the way of Jesus calls you into. And so um, I think Sheila was talking about how this series is framed as to be like a mirror to us, kind of gauge where we're at, where, where the deficiencies in our character, and where might Jesus, by His Spirit, wanting to produce some of that life-giving character in and through us. And so I can't think of a more counter-cultural topic today than the topic of patience. So we're going to be looking at patience. I I find a deep irony that it seemed to land it on me to preach the topic of patience because I wouldn't consider myself an overly patient person. So God has his sense of humor, but uh, as much as this this message is for you and I, we're going to go to Scripture and see what Scripture tells us about patience today, and we're going to look at patience over resentment. The key Scripture we've been using is from Galatians 5. I'm going to read it again. It really just sets up what we've been doing throughout this full series. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's us, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so we've been looking at that. We've been looking at the wrestlings within us of what competes against love and peace and joy and, and our patience from being formed more fully in us. And I just want to point out the fruit of the Spirit, um, you know, sometimes um, we mistake that. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not like, here's a menu, and you can select what you want. Oh, I'd like a little bit more self-control. Peace is really good in the time of anxiety and kindness, but I want none of this patient stuff, and I want none of this gentleness stuff. It doesn't work like that. It's it, This is the fruit of the Spirit, and He wants to produce yeah, in us all these kind of nine characters and qualities and in some we have more of a proclivity towards maybe just in our personality and our temperament and others are a little bit more of a struggle and so maybe you find yourself sitting in that camp today of patience you wouldn't really consider yourself a patient person and so i would i would argue though re- regardless of where you might find yourself on the patient spectrum um i think it's um arguably we're becoming a more impatient people and a more impatient world and a more impatient culture it's on the rise and i was just looking as i was preparing for this message and it really is science is backing up social studies are backing that up um and 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 the the downside of that it's actually making us more miserable you know there's a connection to being patient and actually being happier more content more peaceful. And so as we grow in impatience, it's actually not great for us at all. And so you pick any kind of area of your life, but in almost every area you can see a rise of an impatience growing. From investing, we want a quick way to make money, from career advancement. We don't want the track maybe our grandparents or parents were on. We want to wanna climb up the track as quickly as we can. Um, road rage, right? You've seen all those like dash cam videos of just crazy Road Rage, if you've ever sat on the 401, you'll know what it's like to be impatient driving around in this city. Um, One article I looked at said technology really has been a big role in uh, playing towards our impatience. The title of the article was Technology is Ruining Our Patience. You think about this, online shopping, right? When you've gone on to maybe Amazon and online shopping, you've placed your order You expect it to be there when it says it's going to be there. And if it's not going to be there, you expect things now. Streaming services. You know, I have fun telling my kids there was a time when I was growing up that uh, some of my favorite TV programs, the A-Team or whatever it was, was on a Friday night at 7 p.m. And if I wasn't there... In front of my TV on a Friday night at 7 p.m., I missed it. I couldn't stream it. Maybe if I had a VCR, I could record it. But there was nothing like if you wanted to just watch an entire series of ATM, you could do it within one day, just a few hours, just binge it. And so streaming services, social media has made us a little bit more uh, impatient as we scroll through. Clearly, cancel culture is a big, we just don't have the patience for people who just get things wrong or say inappropriate things. And and it's just a knee-jerk reaction to a lot of that and so in all of this, um, you know, even as you might reflect on it, as I reflect on it, it's, it seems to be increasingly hard to be present in a moment. You know, even if we're physically there in a conversation with something, there's an impatience going on in our brain. We're thinking about the next thing. We're thinking and we'll be conditioned to be much more of an impatient people, and thereby much more miserable people. And so what you say, well, what's at stake What's at stake is when we become impatient, we're becoming worse versions of ourselves. And we respond and act out of that. And it really does look ugly on us as a people. Um, sustained impatience obviously leads to stress, frustration, disappointment, and to this word resentment, where well, we've said patience over resentment, because that is the conclusion of just impatience being sustained in our lives. We begin to resent and that is a form of anger resentment is just really a form of anger that um begins to build up and um take over uh, our internal uh character and so one of the classic the, the bible is full of examples of, of 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 giving the you know people who are patient you look at through proverbs maybe in a, another study just put in the word patience and have a look what the wisdom literature says there but i think one of the The um, sobering realities of just what's at stake when you talk about impatience or you talk about resentment is the story of Cain and Abel. And if you're unfamiliar with that story, it's one one of the most vivid portrayals of just how quickly the fall and sinfulness of mankind devolved. And so we have Cain and Abel, brothers, and Cain um, resents his brother. In that story, he presents something to God, God accepts it. Cain presents something to God, God doesn't accept it. And that resentment towards his brother boils over in anger and ultimately he murders, the first murder recorded in scripture, he kills his brother out of that resentment. And so it's a sobering reminder of the insidious nature that impatience, fostering uh, and bubbling up into resentment can have to us and, and a danger sign. Uh, for us. And so the question then for us, and what we're going to dive in and explore is how do you and I become more patient? And what does scripture really say about patience? And so what do we mean by patience? Well, if you look at the dictionary, here's a great definition. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, provocation, or suffering or hardship without getting angry or upset and having a kind of a calm disposition towards that. And so that's a high standard right there, right? Like to kind of remain calm, not get angry, not get upset um, when there's a situation or a person in front of you provoking you or troubling you. Um, But scripture, interestingly, patience is defined in at least four different ways, or to be more specific, four directions. And so I'm excited that we're going to dive in and explore this today. And so we're going to go through them pretty quickly and then hopefully land this with just looking, okay, then how do we actually implement this and apply this in our lives? And so we're going to start first of all with patience towards us that we're on the we're the ones the recipients of patience first and foremost. We start with God. God's patience towards us. And here's a great word not often used in conversation table called long suffering. The ultimate picture of patience in operation is firstly, God himself. Um, Exodus 34 verse 6 is a, is a key scripture. That's a scripture that's repeated many times throughout the Old Testament, a lot of them in the Psalms. And it's a way that the Hebrew, the Jewish people came to describe the character of God. And so this is God's words speaking to Moses. You had asked, God, God reveal, show me yourself and he says and this is God speaking says the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and so right there I mean that's a great scripture I mean what a God I mean maybe that's a great scripture to memorize as you wake up every day is maybe you go to your devotional time was maybe you're not having a great time of life and the kind of God that you come to He's a God that's merciful and he's compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger. He's patient with you. He's abounding in steadfast love, he's loyal love and faithfulness. But the context in which the Lord's revealing this to Moses is in the context of Israel, God's people repeatedly rebelling against God, provoking God. And so God is contrasted as a God who is merciful, he's gracious, he's compassionate and he has loyal love and he's this phrase, slow to anger all long. Suffering. And so God's anger, I mean, we think of the word anger, we can have different ideas, but when we think of the word anger in terms of God, it's not a, a reactionary, flying off the handle kind of anger you might see. It's an anger that's an expression of His justice. It's the kind of anger that you should naturally also feel when you see an injustice, or maybe perhaps you've been mistreated, or you see someone being bullied or mistreated. Something should rise up within us to say, that's not right. That's the kind of anger. That God has when he sees us doing things that destroy us. You know, when he sees sin destroying his creations, he's sin destroying the people that he created. But it says that he's slow to anger, that he's patient with us. In other words, God gives us a lot of time to change. God gives us a lot of time to turn towards him out of our rebellion and to come to our senses in a way and come and find a place where we're not. Doing things that destroy ourselves, and so he's slow to anger. He's patient, and because God's anger as a response to human evil and sin is based on His these deeper character traits of His compassion, of His mercy, of His loyal love, and we see this ultimately displayed in Jesus. We see an incredible example of what patience begins to look like for us as we move forward. Um, another scripture. So fast forward all the way now to um, one of the letters that Peter writes. In the New Testament, he says this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wish, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's a God of incredible justice, of holiness. And so in some way, he'd be justified to act upon his anger. But it says that he's slow to anger that He's long-suffering with us, that He's patient with us, even in our rebellion and rejection of Him. Why? Because He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to be in a place of destroying ourselves. He's a God that's compassionate and merciful and wants to intervene and wants to uh, bring about restoration in our lives. And so it's right for us to start as we talk about patience by first looking at the the God in whose image we're made and in whose character is wanting to be reproduced in lives. And so if this is God's character, a God who is patient, then God's spirit desires to produce that kind of character within you and me. And so let's look at the other ways now, the other three ways that's more specifically how patience should look out in our lives um, as we have seen the God that is patient towards us. So the second thing, what patience looks like for us is patience towards others. And here's a great word you probably have never used in conversation called forbearance. But it's a great way to describe the kind of patience we're to have with one another. Um, patience is the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at that in Galatians 5. But it's also an aspect of love. You know, think of the the classic 1 Corinthians 13 passage on love, often used at weddings. One of the first things it says there is love is patience. Love is patience. Patience is an example of our love towards people. When we show them patience, it's a sign of us showing love to them. Um, Ephesians 4.2 two talks about how we're to be completely humble and gentle, uh, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so there you get to see what does forbearance means? It means bearing with one another. It means bearing with one another. I love how scripture puts these instructions and it's multiple times you'll see this coming up in one way and I be patient with one another, bear with one another. Why? It's because you and I need to be bear with a lot of the times. You and I are not as much of a delight as sometimes we think. You know, we're a work in progress God knows that. Jesus knows that. God's Spirit knows that. That's why He wants to produce forbearance, bearing with one another, our patience with one another. And because our patience is tested and primary, primarily revealed in our interactions with one another. It's great to say that you're a patient person if you live on a desert island all by yourself. You're the most patient person in the world because your world consists of you. When you put some more people around you, some family, some friends, kids, you know, spouse, siblings, whatever it is, that's when patience begins to get tested. That's when patience begins, begins to get revealed or the lack of it gets revealed in our lives. And so our interactions with one another, we're to forbear one another, we're to bear with one another. It's Forbearance means a patient self-control, a restraint, and a tolerance um, for one another. And so you think about the relationships in your life, you know, you think about um, I don't know if your journey was like our journey, but you, you might think, well, I'm a pretty patient guy. Then you get married and you realize just how impatient you perhaps are. And then just as you kind of begin to work out your patience with your spouse, and you're kind of working that and like, okay, I think I'm back at a place of patience. You decide to have some children and then you just realize how incredibly impatient you are. And so maybe you're at a time of life where you've got elderly parents or you've got young kids or your siblings or your spouse Or maybe it's at a work context. Maybe there's those people in your team work environment or there's that person at the office you just know is always going to test your patience. What about in a church community? I mean, we've enjoyed coming back together and being in person and being in each other's faces. We get together in small groups. But sometimes there are people that just test your patience. And scripture encourages us to bear with one another. It's a sign of love and it's a sign of the gospel taking root of in our lives when we bear with one another. Then there's this word tolerance, and tolerance is used a lot today. It's used a lot in in um, describing Canada, Canada being an incredibly tolerant society, and in many ways a very positive thing that it accepts people, trying not to discriminate upon things of gender, age, uh, sex, whatever race, whatever it may be. Trying to look at the human person that's in front of you. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, the image of God is beared upon in any person, regardless of those things, socioeconomic balance, but how little tolerance is practiced, really. We like the idea of tolerance, how little it's practiced, and oftentimes you'll see it when you come up towards someone who doesn't believe what you believe, who, who has a different way of seeing things, and then your tolerance, your bearing with one another, gets tested. We live in a society that's increasingly becoming intolerant. We just quickly cancel people that we don't like what they say versus trying to understand and get to understand their point of view, even if we might not disagree with it. You know, a, a great example of this, um, this last week is one of, one of my roles as a chaplain at, at the UFT is every year at the beginning of the year, they put on a student leaders dinner. So all the student leaders from the different clubs, uh, different faith clubs and um, ethical clubs that come together, And so there were about 60 of us in a room, and each chaplain were at at a table. So I was at a table with a a couple of Christian leaders, um, a Sikh Sikh from the Sikh society, from the Muslim society, a a, a girl from the Muslims. She had come here from Iran at age 17, fascinating conversation with her and just her take on what's happening in her country and the the revolution that's taking place among them, and um, a girl from China, um, from the Buddhist uh, leaders. So, you know, I don't know when last you, you had a dinner like that, but it's been a while for me, and it was delightful. And one of the um, one of the discussions we were talking about is how do we, coming from different faith backgrounds, how do we cultivate a more working together? Um, how do we talk about our faith and our differences? And how do we um, not feel like we need to abandon our convictions, right? And so you know, people will say we talked about this. How, you know, all religions are relatively the same. Then no, they're really not. Like on the surface, they may want the same thing. Want to become you know peaceful, more tolerant society. But fundamentally, they have very different views about who God is, what our role is in society and that kind of thing, but how we shouldn't be afraid of that. And so everyone's trying to make everything kind of vanilla, but, um, and so we use this word tolerance and tolerance really means like you, I might have a very, very different point of view than you, but I'm going to tolerate, bear with you, listen to you, appreciate you and try to articulate your point of view as if, as if it was you versus characterizing you in the worst possible light. And so it comes back to this thing of patience, of exercising, a forbearing, a bearing up with one another. I love what um, Paul writes to a younger Timothy. And he talks about the patience that Jesus had with him. And I think this is a great example. And where we're going to go with this is the reality is we can only be as patient as we've received the patience from God, as we understand God's patience towards us. That breaks our heart to be patient with people. And I love this verse and it really sums it up. That's First Timothy 1 verse 16, and this is uh, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, But God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a primary example of what? Of his great patience with even the worst sinners. One of the takeaways from that verse is like, don't give up too easily on people. You know, people would have written Saul off. He was persecuting the church. He thought he was doing what was right in God's eyes. He was zealous for God, and he and he was determined to snuff out this, this cultic movement called the people of the way, of the Jesus way, and was throwing Christians in prison. He was executing Christians, thinking he was doing the right thing. Could you imagine God exercising patience with that kind of character? But it shows that Jesus was patient, even with him, to show an example. The worst of sinners always have opportunity to change. And so this is where we land as we come to look at this. Patience creates a redemptive opportunity with others. When we're talking about relationships with one another, whether it's a person that believes something very different to you, or whether it's somebody in your small group in your church community, when we offer them patience, when we're patient with them, when we bear with them, when we show restraint with a quick answer or a quick judgment or whatever. It creates opportunity, a redemptive opportunity for something to happen. If we're quick to jump to conclusions, if we're quick to not give someone the benefit of the doubt, if we're quick to say a judgmental word, it can really escalate something versus showing restraint, holding patient. It gives opportunity for perhaps them to change, for them to repent, for a relationship to be restored. Who knows what could happen by exercising patience, and that's the opportunity that's before us. And so Paul reminds Timothy, hey, Jesus shows his incredible patience with me, and therefore we're to show incredible patience with other people, and as we do that, it allows some redemptive opportunity to take place, not just in their lives, but also in ours. All right, so patient towards others. You might say, hey, that's what patience is. But the Bible actually goes on to speak about, we don't even just need patience in our relationships. We need a patience towards our circumstances. And the word that's often used instead of patience in these verses, although it's the same root word, is this word perseverance. And perseverance is really just patience plus endurance. It's patience plus endurance. Now, impatience is oftentimes the result of wrong or unmet expectations, right? Jump in your car and the map said you should be at your destination in 15 minutes. And 35 minutes later, you're still stuck on the traffic lot. That's called the 401. It's an exercise of patience. Why? Because you had an expectation that you were going to be there already, and it hasn't been met. Now, maybe your maps was wrong. Who was to fault? Doesn't matter. Unmet expectation is often an opportunity for impatience that can spill over into to anger and, and worst, worst kind of things. I remember sometime in the pandemic, maybe you were like this. You ordered some furniture, Right. And they said like four to six weeks and invariably four to six weeks came and went and it was like, Oh, it might be another three weeks. What did that do for your impatience? It got your impatience going because uh, of, of a wrong or unmet expectations. Now we can take that further to some more weightier examples. Maybe there's been an unmet expectation that God should have done something already in your life. Maybe you're you had in your mind that you would, re- would be married already by now or you would be in that dream job by now or you wouldn't be in this particularly difficult situation. Whatever it is in your life, there surely is some expectations that have been unmet or perhaps if you have the wisdom to step back, maybe they were just wrong expectations we set out. Sometimes as Christians, we can approach life with a very naive lens like Jesus is with me, God's good, so everything's going to be good. that's just a wrong expectation. And part of why it's important for you and I to be regularly in Scripture, because Scripture is giving us a healthy expectation of God, a realistic expectation of life. And a lot of times it says, hey, this life is hard. This life has got hardships. Jesus himself, in this life, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He says in this life, you will have trouble. There's always a promise, but take heart. I've overcome the world, you know, take heart. And oftentimes it's not, hey, the situation might not change. The circumstance might not change, but God's bigger. You're going to be bigger in the circumstance. It's like, and so we are better to have right expectations of life. And so then we can avoid things of having wrong or unmet expectations. And so when we have wrong expectations about God or life, we do set ourselves up for unnecessary um, disappointment, frustration, impatience, anger, resentment, and that continues and so we want to have a realistic view of life. And so circumstances, I mean, we've talked extensively about this. We talked last week about the rise of anxiety and just the world is getting increasing anxiety. There's, there's less stability in the world. There's less certainty in the world. And I don't know if in our lifetime there is going to be a level of certainty. And so you need to, re- and that's not being negative. I think that's being realistic because it's in line with scripture. But what I do think is that if God's in our boat, we're to be the most hopeful people if we understand God right, we understand history right, we're not to begin to go into despair, not to be consumed by anxiety, not to be overwhelmed with resentment towards God or towards other people. We're to have uh, a character that's being produced by the Spirit of Christ within us. Um, that's the whole point of this series of what is it going to take for that to be to be produced in us. And so, perseverance in our difficult circumstances also provides us a redemptive opportunity. And Romans 5 verse 3 spells it out for us. It says this, let us also glory in our suffering. Wow, that's a tough scripture because we know that suffering produces perseverance, another translation might say patience, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so we can say then that perseverance or being patient in our tough circumstances also creates a redemptive opportunity and it creates a redemptive opportunity for growth, and character to develop and grow within us just simply in a way that it wouldn't be able to grow or develop within us if we avoid or deny or try to bypass those tough situations and so God by his spirit wants to produce a patience with us a forbearance with people but also a perseverance within us as we encounter difficult challenges or circumstances or hardships And then lastly, there is another dimension of patience that now gets redirected back towards God. We're called to exercise patience, not just with other people, not just with circumstances, but we're actually called to cultivate and exercise patience with God. And it's patience towards God. And a word for this is persistence. And I think persistence could just be patience plus expectation. Patience plus expectation. And so we come to full circle here. We started with the god who is patient long suffering slow to anger with us and now we return to exercise patience with that god and so this is actively engaging and you know, sometimes we think of patience maybe you think of it as being just kind of passive uh resignation um and it really is not i think all these things scripture is telling us this patience is an active engagement it's actively being present with people in our circumstances And with God, it's not disengaging. It's not numbing ourselves from that kind of thing. It's a very proactive stance that we're to have. And so there's many ways that this is framed for us in Scripture. There's a parable called the persistent widow. You know, look it up. If you're unfamiliar with the Scriptures, There's a I just didn't have time to go. But it's literally a parable Jesus teaches about the virtue of having persistence, of patiently going to God again and again in prayer, not giving up, persisting, in that and holding him to his promises. Um, a lot of the Psalms talks about this phrase, I waiting on the Lord. It's a similar thing of persisting. Waiting isn't to be seen as passive, but it's an active engagement, but it's trusting God, not acting in my own impulses, trying to make something happen out of my own self, but trusting God's in control and trusting his plan and his timing are in control. Psalm 40 verse 1 says this: I waited patiently for the Lord, and what did he do? He turned me and heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. What if we didn't wait patiently for the Lord? Maybe we wouldn't have had that opportunity to feel God turn to us personally and hear us. And remember Exodus 34. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's patient with you. He's long. He understands. He understands the human condition. And um, he is not aloof or distant. Romans 8 verse 25 uh, connects this patience, this persistence with God, with a sense of having a faith and a hope in God. And so it's not just patient in prayer, but it's patient and persistence in prayer and persistence in holding God to His promises. Um, it says this, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. And that's the tension of us living now. We, we know that God has put the world on a track of redemption and restoration. We see that in all that He accomplished accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that He's begun redeeming and renewing this world, but not yet do we see it in its fullness. And we live in that tension, and we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. Um, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't give up hope. We wait for it with patience. We persist in it. We persist in prayer and with the promises of God. And so we can say then, persistence creates a redemptive opportunity for dependency on God. Persistence creates a redemptive opportunity for us to cultivate a dependency on God. And, and as we're cultivating a dependency on God, automatically we're cultivating a deeper relationship, a deeper intimacy with God. And I think the phrase is, is often used, I think, by Pastor Jim LaFoon in, in our Every Nation Movement, respected prophet, he talks about how proximity to God is a gift of grace. You get access to God through Jesus Christ. That's a gift. You don't own it. But he says intimacy is a choice. So we have access to God, but how closer and how deeper and how more reliant upon God, that's a choice you and I need to make daily as we persist with Him, as we cry out to Him, as we wait upon Him um, and allow Him to turn to us and hear our cries and walk with Him. And so patience is increasingly counter-cultural. We come back now to that as we wrap this up because it calls us to slow down. You know, Everything in society seems to be speeding up Right, slow I mean, even it's been amazing to me to see how quickly we've gone back to some pre-pandemic ways, right? And um, you know, I think some people are trying to trying to ease back into it, trying to learn the lessons. But it's hard, right? It feels like the world is picking up its pace again, and so it's hard to, to feel like to slow down, to not just slow down, but to relinquish control. Um, Patients often asking us to relinquish control. You know, I could say something in this moment. I really want to say something in this moment to this person, put them right. Bite my tongue. It's patience. It's slowing down. It's relinquishing control, trusting God. Um, maybe with a bit of wisdom, I can come back and say something a bit more life-giving, and trusting God is ultimately in control of our situation that might not be favorable right now. Uh, maybe there's a promise so that we're waiting upon God that doesn't seem to be arriving on our timetable. And I love what Henry Now and the the Dutch Catholic priest he he puts it in this way. And I want to read this. And as we as we wrap up and move to a little bit of a, a practical application in, in some ways. He says it like this He says, to wait open handedly is an enormously radical attitude toward life. So is to trust that something will happen to us that is far beyond our imaginings. So too is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life, trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present in the moment. Trusting that new things will happen to us. New things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. That indeed is a very radical stance toward life in a world preoccupied with control. And so what a kind of cultural way Jesus calls us into in the, in the way of patience. I love what no one says there. That the spiritual life is a life that's calling us to, to wait. Um, but it's a way that's actively present. It's not passive. It's not just sitting back. I'm going to wait and not be served on by people. That's what it means. but a way to be actively present in the moment that you have right now with God, with people, with the difficult circumstances you're perhaps in. The only way that you can do that out of not just your own strength, the only way that you can do that consistently is a reliance on the God who is incredibly long-suffering and patient with you and I. And so we come back to what we're talking about this series. It's the fruit of of the spirit not the fruit of you and i trying harder or to use uh, lucas's great phrase mustering up our own sense of patience of love there is a very small limit to your own patience and my patience and we will life will find a way to hit that limit very quickly life will find a way to put the people who will test that very quickly but with the spirit of christ there's an unlimited amount of patience love joy peace all these kind of things that we can tap into because it's the fruit of the Spirit of Christ at work in us. And so in some ways, the pressure is off to manufacture more patience, but it's to partner with God and create the conditions in which patience can be exercised in my life. So fruit is a result of the root. It's a result of the nature of the branch. And so my job isn't to produce the fruit. My job is to stay connected to the source. That's your job. It's to recognize maybe I'm incredibly deficient in the area of impatience. Maybe there's a particular child or a spouse or a particular person that you just know that this is the message where it's going to be tested the most. But now you have a measure of self-awareness to go into those moments, not just girding and mustering up your own strength, but to go in there and kind of relinquish and control and say, God, I know I'm not patient with this child as I should be. I know I'm not patient with this person at work as I should be. I know I'm impatient. In seeing this difficult situation in my life, but I want to reverse. I want to allow your patience to come through with this person, with this situation, in this time of my life. And as we partner with God, as we partner with Him in in prayer, as we partner with with Him in ways that slow down and um, exercise the dependency upon Him, whatever that looks like in a devotional life, community life, and critically important in this regard, as we exercise that, we create the conditions in which He is able to bring forth. Beautiful fruit in our life. Fruit that's not just tasty for us, but fruit that's tasty for other people. That shows not just incredible patience on Richard's behalf, but it shows the incredible patience of Jesus Christ to a world he loves so much, even to the chief of sinners, as Paul talks about. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit of Christ within us, produced by the nature of Christ within us. Your job, my job, is to stay connected to the source through time, our effort, our intentionality, you know, I love D- Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher's quote on this. He talks about how grace isn't opposed to effort. You know, we think about grace is just opposed to anything that's seemingly legalistic. Not at all said grace isn't opposed to effort. It's, it takes effort to see these things cultivate, right? It takes time. It takes effort for you to press into the presence of God, press into your Bible, rearrange your expectations according to scripture, not according to whatever stuff else that wants to, to frame reality for you. It takes intentionality to do all that. That's effort. Grace is not opposed to that effort. It's just opposed to earning. And earning is an attitude. And effort is action. And so I want to end off with a great prayer, actually just straight out of Colossians 1. It talks about patience for you and for I. But do not be surprised if today, this week, you're going to find yourselves in situations that will test your patience. And so we can change our mindset towards it. Maybe when we are stuck in that 401, and I'm speaking to myself because I spend a lot of time in that dang parking lot called the 401 is maybe it's a time then to allow God, with that person at work, with that person in your family, with your friendship group, even in your small group community, whatever it is, maybe that's God trying to get a message to you that, hey, let's partner here together. Let's exercise restraint. Let's exercise dependency, humility, and allow me to do something in your life. And so, um, if you will, let me pray for you from Colossians 1 today as we end this off. I pray that you will be strengthened with all God's glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. God bless you. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.